This is episode 317 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are Meat Rabbits, What You Need to Know About Raising Rabbits for Meat, and Fight Back, Defending the Second Amendment. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, just want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. Hey, when you purchase the ebook, which is a very, very reasonable price, you also get access to the Prepper Website Forums that will help you and encourage you not only in your micro business but also in your preparedness with all different kinds of topics on uh, in prepper forums like food storage and wilderness survival and all that kind of stuff. You can be a part of the prepper website forums and be a part of a community that is there for you. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Our first article comes to us from commonsensehome.com. And the title is Meat Rabbits, What You Need to Know About Raising Rabbits for Meat. I really like this article because it really lays it out for you how easy it is to raise rabbits. And really, you know, you don't need a whole big homestead to do it. You don't need a lot of property. Um, You can do it in a small backyard. And it's something that everyone should consider because having two does and one buck uh, and breeding them optimally can really produce a lot of meat for you. And so uh, not only that, but there's a lot of other advantages to it. So uh, let's go ahead and jump right into this one. Are meat rabbits easy to raise? Yes. Raising rabbits for meat requires just a few basic supplies and routine care. Meat rabbits are an excellent animal to teach you about a life of animal husbandry. According to rabbitbreeders.us, a single commercial doe can produce offspring to yield 300 pounds of meat per year. Rabbits have excellent feed conversion rates, low startup cost, healthy meat, and don't require much space. We'll walk you through rabbit hutches, watering and feeding, which breeds make the best meat rabbits and basic rabbit care. So let's get started. Rabbit hutches and rabbit cages. Think about housing before you start looking at bunnies. Rabbits are usually raised in metal cages or hutches. This protects them from predators and improves sanitation. You could start with wire and make your own cages, but the commercial cages are well-designed, readily available, and an excellent investment that will last you for years. You might even get some second-hand by watching your local resale sources such as Craigslist. The wire hutches can cause sore feet, so a plank or a piece of carpet can provide a place for your rabbits to rest. Sitting your rabbit tree is important. Heat is the enemy of rabbits more than cold. Because of the fur, hutches can be placed outside as long as they are protected from prevailing winds. They must be in the shade, especially in warmer climates. Here in Wisconsin, it is common for the rabbits to be inside a shed or barn with good ventilation in all seasons. However, we have had them outside in wicked Wisconsin winters as long as they were dry and could get out of the wind. We also provided them with fresh water several times per day. Watering and feeding your meat rabbits. Waterers and feeders are best purchased commercially. 
The industry has done their homework to find receptacles that resist the constant chewing of rabbits and are designed for rabbit's anatomy. Ceramic or pottery crocks are easy to clean and wire feeders have screens at the bottom to get rid of dust from the feed. The feeders are also slightly elevated to keep the feed clean and the design prevents little bunnies from sitting and soiling their feed. Water bottles are excellent when the weather is not freezing because the water stays clean and they cannot tip it onto the floor. Just like toddlers, spills happen. In winter, we use tuna cans and other similar cans that were not too deep. These are easy to procure so that you can give them a fresh can filled with warm water rather than trying to thaw them all. This is the one season when you may not want the ceramic or pottery crocs because the freezing and thawing can break them. What should you feed your rabbit? I recommend that you start with a commercial pellet, readily available, consistent in quality, researched to meet the needs of meat rabbits. Different brands may contain slightly different formulas and some include herbs or probiotics that are known to be beneficial to the digestive tract of rabbits. Timothy Hay, as a treat, helps stimulate bunny tummies and they love treats such as carrots, apples, and whole sunflower seeds. Remember, these are supplements and too much of a good thing can cause digestive problems, just like chicken treats are a supplement to a healthy chicken diet. As you gain experience, you can add fresh forages like clover or alfalfa. It is critical that anything you add to your meat rabbit's diet be given on a trial basis first. This is critical for most livestock. Critters that have systems designed to handle cellulose or plant materials rely on a balance of beneficial bacteria in their gut and new material can overwhelm that balance. Sticks such as maple branches can provide something safe for rabbits to work their teeth on. Those teeth keep growing throughout their life. Note, rabbit teeth and claws are sharp, so always be careful when handling your rabbits. Which breeds make the best meat rabbits? Now the fun can begin. You get to pick out your foundation rabbits. The most common breeds for meat rabbits are New Zealand's, shown at top of the post, and Californians. These and crosses thereof have a nice litter size, are usually good moms, and produce a fast-growing, well-constructed carcass. Breeds such as the Flemish Giants and the Giant Chinchilla are impressive in size, but the purebreds put on a frame before meat and so take longer to produce a quality meat carcass. We have had excellent results using a Flemish Giant as a terminal sire, producing a big, fast-growing bunny when the mother is in New Zealand. I recommend starting with a good quality pair or trio of a standard breed until you get comfortable with the process. Meanwhile, you can research some of the fun newer breeds such as the Cream d'Argence or Silver Fox or a new breed that is being developed such as Altex. I also suggest that you find an experienced breeder at this point to help you make sure that you pick healthy stock with no defects. Experienced eyes and someone to mentor you are worth their weight in gold. Meat Rabbit Care Males and females must be housed in different cages. The female's cage must be large enough to hold a nest box or must have an attached hutch. We started with hutches that served us well when hutches were outside. Once we moved them into a building, we went to the nest boxes. The lip on the nest box keep the babies from accidentally ending up on the cage floor and the nest boxes were much easier to clean. 
When breeding, bring your doe to the buck. Does are territorial and can become aggressive toward the buck, even injuring them. Breeding is straightforward. The male will mount, quickly mate, and fall off. Don't be alarmed at this. If the doe runs away from him, remove her and try again in 12 hours. She is not ready for breeding. Keep a calendar in your rabbitry to write breeding dates down. If a doe is pregnant, she will vigorously avoid the buck. Don't ever try to force them. Pregnancy is from 28 to 32 days for does. Place the nest, the nest box in the cage about a week in advance. At the same time, you will want to give her some straw for nest building. Mama rabbits will gather mouthfuls of material to take back to the nest box to make a nest that they line with fur just before kindling. If the doe fails to pull fur, you may hold her by the scruff of the neck and pluck from her dewlap below her chin and on her chest to get the fur to put in with the babies. Because of the hairlessness of the kits, they need that fur to keep warm. Old wives tell say that you must not handle the babies because the mothers will reject them. This is not true for any rabbits, domestic or wild. Once born, we usually leave the nest alone for a few days. After that, we generally gently check the box for any dead babies and to check the condition of the litter. A doe with babies should get free choice feed. Making milk is hard work. Milk is mostly water, so always provide a good source of water for mama rabbits. Rabbits have extremely nutritious milk and only nurse two or three times per day. Within a few hours, they will not be in the nest box, but this does not mean that they are rejecting the babies. This is a carryover from the wild state. Staying away from the babies prevents attention from predators. What do baby rabbits look like? Baby rabbits are known as kits, which is short for kittens. The babies will be born in an extremely vulnerable state, hairless and blind. Nature has provided for them well, so let your doe do her job. See Rabbit Breeds, Basic Rabbit Care, and Interesting Rabbit Facts for a photo of young rabbits in the nest. The rabbit kits will quickly grow, opening their eyes at about 11 days, give or take a few days. Sometimes in the third week, the kits will begin coming out with mom and nibbling on pellets. We have weaned babies as early as 30 days, but an extra week or two of milk will give them a boost. If a doe consistently produces less than at least six babies or does a poor job mothering, it is time to cull her and give another doe her job. Sometimes a first-time doe will accidentally kill her babies while trying to clean them after birthing. This is always a sad thing, but we move on, giving her one more chance. How frequently can rabbit does be bred? Does can be bred four weeks after kindling. This takes aggressive feeding and we would usually wait until six weeks to try. One note on weaning is that we found that gradual drying off of the doe was easier on the doe. We would take away about half of the babies and leave a few to continue nursing. Lactation is about supply in response to demand. And by gradually taking away the babies over a week or so, the supply can gradually reduce. By this time, the nest box can be removed and cleaned to ready for the next litter. A decent commercial doe, well managed, can produce six to eight litters per year, consisting of nine or more kits. However, be aware that the stress of continual breeding to achieve more than six litters per year may shorten the life of your doe. 
when to process the rabbits. The babies, now growing rabbits, can then be sold as pets or grown out. Feed them the same pellets, free choice, and make sure to keep the supply of clean water adequate. At this point, we separate the males from the females. Telling one from the other is tricky and is done by examination of the genitals. Even experienced owners have some difficulty with this, so expect some mistakes. Rabbits may potentially begin breeding before three months of age. If you prefer to raise them for a larger carcass and do not separate them, you will undoubtedly find some surprise pregnancies either at slaughter or with unexpected litters. We would routinely butcher by 12 weeks, getting about 3 pounds dressed rabbit. A fryer rabbit is up to 5 pounds, live weight, while a roaster is between 5 and 8 pounds. Beyond this, a rabbit is considered a stewer. You can discern the types of cooking by their dames. Butchering can be intimidating, and I will leave that for other posts. Again, a mentor can help you there, or you may even hire someone experienced to harvest them for you. Is rabbit meat healthy? Incredibly so. The protein content is 21%, and the meat is highly digestible. Only very rarely would there be any issues with allergies. Is rabbit meat flavorful? Yes, it tastes like chicken, dark meat. It may be a cliche, but it's true. Rabbit meat has a very clean, mild taste. It is highly prized by chefs and excellent used in recipes calling for chicken or pork. Rabbit meat has very little fat, so it takes a delicate touch not to overcook the delectable meat. It is a favorite meat of the French. Rabbit poop. What to do with rabbit droppings. Rabbits produce another product besides meat. Rabbit droppings. Rabbit manure is considered a cold manure and can be placed directly onto a growing garden. I prefer to compost the manure a bit first, but the nitrogen levels are lower than other types of manure and will not burn plant roots. The areas under the rabbit cages can be cleaned weekly to keep the rabbitry fresh. For ease of cleaning, build troughs from 55-gallon plastic barrels cut in half to hold both the droppings and urine. Or you could use a shovel, rake, and wheelbarrow to clean the floor under the cages. Some people raise worms under rabbit cages, providing another source of income by selling worm castings. Eventually, the manure may be one of the most surprising benefits of your rabbitry. Why rabbits eat their droppings? One very strange adaptation of rabbits has to do with their droppings. Unlike ruminants, which chew their cud as part of processing their higher fiber diets, rabbits utilize a process called caprophagy. Rabbits produce two types of droppings, soft night droppings and dry droppings, which is what we typically recognize as normal rat poop. Rabbits ingest the soft droppings and in this way get the B vitamins and more of the protein that they need. A more detailed explanation can be found at the Michigan State University Extension. This sounds gross, but is something needed to understand if you want healthy rabbits. It's okay and healthy for your rabbits to eat their droppings. A side note, if you have issues with your own poop looking like rabbit droppings, please see what's a healthy bowel movement. So rabbit colonies. What is a rabbit colony? A rabbit colony is where rabbits are raised in groups, sometimes on pasture, with all the rabbits, including the males, living together. Only one adult male should be in any particular colony to prevent aggression towards the offspring of the other male. For those looking for rabbit colony crossword clues, 
They're also known as a warren. Homesteaders like to experiment with everything. Some have had success with rabbit colonies. Please don't start with that type of arrangement. Leave it if it appeals to you till you have experience and know normal for rabbits. One of the reasons that wire cages are so common in rabbit trees is because of a disease called coccidiosis. The severity of coccidiosis depends on the number of ingested oocytes. Clinical signs are reduced appetite, depression, abdominal pain, and pale, watery mucous membrane, but they can be absent in older rabbits. Inspection of the feces often reveals blood and threads of mucus. Young young rabbits present a retarded growth due to side effects on the kidney and the liver in particular. As you can see, coccidiosis can be very serious rabbit disease. Rabbits naturally dig into the ground. Any outside pens must have wire bottoms, even if placed directly on the ground. Alternatively, in more permanent colony pens, hardware cloth can be buried straight down on the sides of the pen to prevent the rabbits from digging out or predators from digging in. So are meat rabbits right for you? Research, plan, and establish your housing before you get your rabbits. Start with basic commercial rabbits and feeds until you learn about the rhythms of your rabbitry. If you decide that you really do not like rabbits, after all, you do not have an overwhelming investment. Find a mentor and get a good resource book such as Raising Rabbits by Ann Cannibal. As you gain experience, you can find information from breed registries and commercial sources such as Dean's All-American Rabbits. All right, guys, that is it for this article. Um, Good one there. lays out a lot. And as you can see, although it was a little bit longer article, it's not that difficult to raise rabbits. And so you can start off small uh, like they were talking about and then kind of go from there. And, uh, you know, there you go. I mean, we talk about micro businesses and I talk about that a lot. Uh, You can raise them to sell them if you don't want to raise them for meat and maybe you want to experiment a little bit but uh, you can raise them to uh, to to sell them there's always people out there I know that when I was uh, breeding rabbits I was looking for you know some some good stock and uh, you know it, it was hard to find some so in in my area so uh, it kind of comes and goes you know with the seasons but that's something that you can consider and something that you can do So uh, definitely uh, a good article. Hopefully you will take that into account. There's a lot of links in this one. So you might want to come over to commonsensehome.com and and click on some of these. And like always, I will have them in the show notes to make it easier for you to get over here. All right. So uh, on Fridays, if you're not familiar, I always try to go into the Prepper website archives and pull an article that, um, you know, is a little bit older but is still re- very relevant to uh, you know what preppers are looking for. And so I, since this is the Friday podcast, I did that and pulled one from uh, my good friend Tim Gamble over at timgamble.com. And this one is specifically about uh, defending the Second Amendment. And so I want to just, um, before I even get started, I want to let you know that there are a lot of great links here. Um, There are some downloads to PDF books. There are some links to other great websites, uh, some that I know, some that that I'm not familiar with, uh, even though this is an older older article. And then he just provided a lot of resources and a lot of great ideas. In some of these, he provided action steps. 
And so uh, in those, you know, I'll read them off like A, B, C, and D. Uh, I'll read those off for you. But a lot of good information here. And so uh, let's go ahead and jump in. Fight back, defending the Second Amendment. Amendment 2, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. All people have a natural God-given right to self-defense. This inalienable right is recognized and guaranteed by the Second Amendment to U.S. Constitution. Guns are a very useful, even necessary tool of self-defense. They are also great for hunting, providing food and recreation through shooting sports and collecting. But their primary function, as enshrined in the Constitution by our founding fathers, is for self-defense against both bad people and bad government. We have a God-given right to self-defense and the tools needed to defend ourselves. So uh, he has a couple of quotes here from various uh, places. Uh, Exodus 22.2 If the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall not be guilt for his bloodshed. Uh, Jesus advised his disciples to arm themselves in view of likely persecution. So uh, see my study of Luke 22, uh, 36, and there's a link there. If someone comes to kill you, arise quickly and kill him. That's from the Talmud, Tractate Sanhedrin. And then someone who defends his life is not guilty of murder, even if he is forced to deal his aggressor a lethal blow. That is Catechism of the Catholic Church, 2264. And then Thomas Jefferson, quote, The strongest reason for the people to retain the right to bear arms is as a last resort to protect themselves against tyranny in government. And then George Mason, the father of the Bill of Rights, says this, What is the militia? It is the whole people. To disarm the people is the best and most effectual way to enslave them. Wow, great, a great quote there. So here are some action steps. A. Read the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. B. Get a pocket copy of both. Various organizations often give away such copies. C. Read the article, The Six Things Americans Should Know About the Second Amendment by Richard W. Stevens. D. Check out the Biblical Self-Defense website. And uh, I'll tell you, that's a great website. I've linked to it many times on Prepper website. E. Read my article, Freedom of Religion or Freedom of Worship, to understand the important difference and how progressives try to water down our rights. F. Check out the book, Deadly Force, Understanding Your Right to Self-Defense by Masad Ayub. And G. Learn the laws of your state and locality regarding firearms, self-defense, and concealed carry and open carry. Your local gun store should be able to help with this step. Number two. Work to change unconstitutional laws and excessive regulations. Many states and localities have already passed legislation that violates the Second Amendment and or otherwise restricts the inalienable right to self-defense. We must work diligently to change these laws and to prevent new restrictions. This will take some time, effort, and awareness. The action steps. A. Know the position of political candidates regarding guns and self-defense. Do not vote for candidates that do not support the Second Amendment or that favor excessive restrictions on guns and self-defense. B. Vote for and otherwise support candidates at the respect or that respect the Second Amendment and promise to resist gun bans and excessive regulations. C. It is as important to hold local and state level officials accountable as it is to hold federal level politicians accountable. D. Make your voice heard. 
pressure your politicians at all levels to be pro-Second Amendment and to resist gun control efforts. Most moderate or non-ideological politicians end up voting in the direction they feel the greatest pressure. We have to make sure we out-pressure the progressives. Write, call, email, and visit your elected officials often. Attend town halls, write newspaper editorials, be outspoken. Here's how to contact Congress. There's a link here. E. Many gun right organizations, see below, provide legislative alerts and suggested actions to take. Join their email list and or follow them on Twitter to stay informed of these opportunities. Number three is what about civil disobedience? Civil disobedience of unjust and or unconstitutional law is legitimate and may be necessary at some point. However, the penalties for breaking gun laws are often quite severe, so please think long and hard before breaking them. The negative consequences may not only affect you, but also your family. If you do get into trouble, either through civil disobedience or just accidentally, seek legal help from a law firm friendly to the Second Amendment. Here are two directories. A. The Shooter's Bar Pro-Second Amendment Attorneys and JPFO Guide to Second Amendment CCW Oriented Attorneys. Number four, join forces with others defending the Second Amendment. The National Rifle Association, Gun Owners Association, Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership, and the National Association for Gun Rights. And uh, Tim has linked to each of these organizations, Twitter, websites, and also YouTube channels. And their YouTube channels are up. I want to go check these uh, because they're more informative as far as like, uh, you know, forums or people talking. So they're not specific, um, you know, gun or firearm YouTube channels. Number five, if you are in law enforcement or the military, please join Oath Keepers. Even if you're not, you can support them by joining as an associate member. You can also sign up for their free email list. And he gives the website here. Number six, know the facts. Several politicians and activists have been caught lately reciting facts and statistics that were highly distorted and in several cases completely made up. Opponents of the Second Amendment have no qualms about lying to get their way. It is crucial that we know the real facts and statistics so that we cannot be misled and so that we can correct the record and prevent others from being misled. Here are several resources to help you learn the facts. The Gun Facts website, Gun Facts 6.2. This link will download a PDF of of a 119-page book, Gun and Murder Statistics on the JPFO website, and... Hands off my gun, defending the plot to disarm America. Number seven, schools and zero tolerance. Schools have enacted zero tolerance policies that go way beyond banning the actual weapons from school. School kids have and are getting suspended, expelled, and sometimes arrested for such absurdities as merely using the word gun in a paper, drawing a picture of a gun on paper, having a green plastic army man with a gun, biting a Pop-Tart into the shape of a gun, having a toy bubble gun, gun that looks nothing like a real gun, and even holding their forefinger and thumb into a gun shape while playing on the playground. No more playing cowboys and Indians or even cops and robbers. School officials understand the difference between a drawing of a gun and a real gun. They overreact to such an incredible extent not to discourage guns on campus, but to intentionally instill a fear of guns into students. Progressives know that if the current generation of students is afraid of guns, it will be easier to ban guns once they grow up. 
Fight these absurd zero-tolerance rules in your kids' schools. Stand up to administrators who think your kids should be arrested for biting a potato chip in such a way that it vaguely resembles a gun. Most importantly, make sure you are voting for school board members who respect the Second Amendment as well as the rest of the Constitution and Bill of Rights. Teach your kids to respect guns, not to fear them. Teach them how to use guns safely. Take teams, shooting, and hunting. Check out the NRA's Eddie Eagle Gun Safe Program for kids. And number eight, promote gun ownership. Own guns and enjoy them. Encourage others to own guns and to pursue hunting and shooting hobbies. The more people who own and enjoy guns, the harder it will be for progressives to take our guns away. Invite a gun-weary friend, neighbor, or co-worker to go hunting or shooting with you. Get to them before the progressives do. And then uh, he has a lot of list of uh, other resources here that you can click on. So this this article is very informative. There's a lot of information here. So if you know you've been getting into conversations about the Second Amendments or gun control or any of those types of things, this is definitely one of those. Or you just feel like you want to defend the Second Amendment, but you're just not. You don't have enough adequate information. To uh, to do a good job, then this is an article that you need to come to, and uh, you know get get some information. And so, uh, like I said, a lot of clickable links here, and uh, I think it's really great. You know, every school district is going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, I've always said before in the past, you know, mine's a little bit more conservative, although that is changing. I, I will say that uh, I remember when I was a teacher in fourth grade, we were outside doing recess. And uh, the students were, it was really crazy. They were, they were going across the field, and, um, you know, the playground field, and it looked like they were shooting each other, and some were just like dying and laying on the floor. And uh, so they would do that, and then they would kind of like reset and go back to where they were and then start all over again. And so uh, I, I was watching this, and another teacher was watching it. So I walked over to this teacher, and we started talking like, what are they doing? She goes, I don't know. They're shooting each other. And so, uh, you know, we're like, okay. So we watched it a little bit more to see if we could gather what was going on. And uh, it just seemed like this scene was playing over and over again. So we called this, we called a couple of students over and we like, hey, so what's going on, guys? What are y'all doing? And they're like, uh, we're playing the Alamo. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what do you mean? Like, we're reenacting the Alamo. And so, uh, you know, for those of you who are not from Texas, you know, the Alamo was, uh, you know, for Texas independence. That's where Davy Crockett and Jim Bowie and uh, Colonel Travis, they wound up uh, defending the Alamo. They weren't supposed to. They were supposed to, uh, you know, take the cannon or blow up the cannon and destroy the destroy the Alamo. But they didn't do it. They defended it. And uh, they wound up, you know, I think it was 186 men died uh, at the hand of the Mexican army. But that uh, rallying cry, because there were, the kids were like, remember the Alamo or whatever. So that rallying cry was part, you know, partly the, the force, the drive that helped uh, the Texans beat the Mexicans at the Battle of San Jacinto. But anyway, so the students were studying the Alamo at that period. And so that happened a couple of days in a row where they were doing that and they were just falling down and, and dying. And, and I mean, we, we thought it was hilarious. But, uh, you know, there were, I'm sure there were some people that would have freaked out about that. And we were like, man, they, they are, 
living you know history they are reenacting history i mean come on i mean how much better does that get as a teacher where you see the kids actually you know practicing what they what they learn right or or at least acting it out i mean it, it became very real for them so uh, that was great but there are stupid teachers out there you know there are stupid school districts um, the thing about the pop tarts and in drawing and and even you know making uh, your fingers into a gun I mean that that is really really stupid just people are stupid I mean that's just plain I'm just gonna call it that way and teachers are very smart they they a lot of them know exactly what they're doing as far as you know what they need to do to teach kids but when it comes to stuff like this some of them can get really stupid I remember uh, dealing with a, a teacher, one a first grade teacher who was freaking out, and uh, I was like, "No, this you, we're not we're not going to discipline this kid for making a paper gun. That's just not going to happen." And so uh, they weren't happy about that, but um, that was my stance on it. And uh, I was glad to be there to be able to do that and to be able to help you know shape some thought on that on my campus. We need more educators and more administrators to be able to do that. But uh, definitely need to come from a point of view that, you know, the Second Amendment is something that should be, you know, held sacred. And so uh, hopefully this article will get you to come visit and uh, will or at least this podcast will help you to come visit this article so that you can get a little bit more information and feel a little bit better prepared when you're talking about the Second Amendment and gun control with uh, uh, the ding-dongs that are out there. And so, like always, I'm going to link to this one in the show notes. Well, guys, that's it for episode 317 of the Prepper Website Podcast. I hope you have a great weekend. Hope you get some time to go out and enjoy the weather, get some dirt time or whatever you you need to do to get accomplished this week and maybe get some preparedness in there and uh, add to your preparedness. And uh, don't forget that if you are listening to this podcast and uh, you're not subscribed, that you can easily do that by coming over to the prepperwebsitepodcast.com. And so we have so many different ways to subscribe and uh, so that you can make sure you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. We want you to get it all. <laughs> and uh, make sure that you take a, a moment to connect with me. I have a lot of ways to connect on social media and uh, you know, especially our Facebook group uh, on our show notes that you get. And then also over on the Prepper Website Podcast, you can just link to all that. We've made it very, very easy. Made it easy for you to share out our episodes as well. And uh, just to help get the word out, we really do appreciate, uh, you know, the, the podcast is growing, um, but we'd like to get it out there to more people because we think it's, uh, you know, good information that people can listen to preparedness and uh, as they're on the go and hopefully get a little bit more prepared. Uh, so uh, with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.